0: When we don't believe we have God's grace, we try to prove ourselves to others, to other people. I want other people to be impressed by me. We, we might wanna fit in or get other people's approval. I wanna earn their love. And we certainly don't want other people finding out what we're like inside, right? Like the true me, what I was thinking, what I really want or desire or thought about you or that person or your performance. So we wear masks to hide our real selves from people. Wearing that mask though can be pretty heavy. It's a, like, it gets, it gets hard. It's like acting all the time. Like you have this role to play, but all the time. Cause we dare not let other people see who we really are. And ultimately this backfires. It doesn't work because deep down in, I think and believe that the thing about me that you really love or accept isn't really me. It's the mask I'm wearing. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Well, welcome indeed. Good to be with you. How's it going for your holiday prep? We're just about there. I think we've just about got all the preparations sorted out. We don't usually wrap stuff till kind of late, but um, I don't know. We've been dialing up some of our favorite holiday films again this year, which is always kind of fun. I think it does help us kind of you know, kind of get our hearts back in the focus and just, you know, I know for me it reminds me of so much when my kids were a little bit younger because some of these movies became that for us. What's your favorite holiday or Christmas movie? Ours would have to be, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, ours would undoubtedly have to be that movie called A Christmas Story. You know, the one where Ralphie wants a BB gun and his mom and his teachers are telling him he's going to shoot his eye out. You know, we watch that almost every single Christmas Eve for like forever, you know. And this year, I have reconnected with Home Alone, I, and and I'm understanding uh, that that's a lot of people's favorite Christmas movie. I, I watched a documentary recently on the making of that movie, and it made me even love the movie a little bit more. So, anyway, I hope you guys are having a good week, a good holiday prep. The whole season is kind of great and magical, and I think maybe it's a good diversion from just being stuck at home. But now it's stuck at home with a purpose. Yay, <laughs> right? Before we get going, I want to just invite you uh, again to join us on Facebook. We've got a group there, and there's thousands of people who listen to the podcast and who interact there. You can come and ask any questions you want, uh, drop you know, your insights from the show there, observations, whatever. Um, just You can search us up in, in Facebook, just put Everyday Disciple in there, or here's real simple. If you go in your browser on your phone, go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Facebook, Then you could boo, it'll take you right there and you just join and off we go. All right, we'd love to have you in there, get to know you a little bit better, and that's how you can interact directly with myself and Tina and others in the community as well. All right, I hope that you've been enjoying our Advent celebration on the podcast these last several weeks. We've been taking a look at the traditional Advent like sort of heart movements of hope, peace, joy, and love through the lens of the four Gs, these four life-changing truths about God that will speak into our lives, not only in this season, but every day. I've shared with you before, we've talked about them, but now we're kind of looking at Advent and all these themes through those lenses. So three episodes back, we looked at, we have hope because God is great. Uh, if you didn't hear that, go back and check it out for sure, right? Uh, two weeks back, we we looked at we live with peace because God is glorious. He's the most glorious one he loves us completely so we can finally live at peace. Last week, we talked about God and his goodness. God always does what is good, right, and perfect, so we can actually find joy and satisfaction in our lives. So if you missed any of the series, I want to encourage you to go back, check them out, all right? Now, today, week four, as we're wrapping up this Advent series, we're going to talk about how God is gracious. There's another G, the fourth of the Gs, so we can experience love in the deepest of ways. God is gracious, So we don't have to prove ourselves, and we can experience love in the deepest of ways. I recently read an article in Forbes magazine outlining the results of a reader survey that they conducted, and the key question the survey probed was this. They asked this, if you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? And before I kind of give you the results, just think about that for a second. If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would that be? And I know, like, our, you know, we can give the sort of Christian churchy answers or whatever, but, you know, really deep down in, all the things that God provides and all that, right? But so here's what, in their survey, number one, people listed happiness. And they said the biggest challenge is not knowing what I want to do. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we talk a lot about this do-to-be distortion. But out of like lots of people worldwide, number one was happiness. With their challenge, they felt like, I guess, to achieving this is not knowing what I want to do. Number two, you want to take a guess? Number two was money. If you could say in one word what you want more of in your life, money, they said. And the biggest challenge connected to that is not having enough money to do the things I want to do. (laughs) Now, I was surprised at this, because universally, it seems, for decades or maybe centuries, the question of what do you want more of or most in your life was pretty consistently answered love, to be loved and to give love. Certainly, all of our pop music and lots of movie themes go there, right? But apparently, not so much anymore. According to this Forbes survey, which, by the way, they listed their top eight responses that came in, love didn't even make the list. (laughs) Like, how's that possible? And I wonder why that is today. And maybe it's really been longer than, you know, than we thought and we just kind of give the right answer, I need to say love, but I wonder why that is today. When asked what we truly want more of in life, I think we all have been conditioned to say love, but in this anonymous survey, love doesn't even make the list? I think it's because that apart from God's grace and his perfect love, we really cannot experience true love in our lives for ourselves and with others. Let me say that again. Apart from God's grace, his unmerited favor, just upon, you know, favor, grace upon grace, and his perfect love expressed to us, we really cannot experience true love in our lives. We don't even know what it is. And our remaining G in this Advent series looking through the lens of the four Gs, right, that I learned from my friend Tim Chester is God is great so we don't have to prove ourselves or earn love, right? Kind of said that at the top, of the top of the episode here. God is great so we don't have to prove ourselves or earn anything, including love. Because God is gracious, we can experience love in the deepest ways. Without knowing, receiving, and experiencing God's grace, I really believe we don't know or understand true love, what it is. As always, to really get a good look at all this, we're going to need to go back to the beginning of the story, the story of God. Before anything was made by God, God existed, right? That's what the Bible teaches. Three in one, God existed. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoyed perfect communion, perfect connection, perfect love in their unity, There was perfect goodness, justice, and love within the Trinity. No need for righting wrongs. They didn't exist. No need to fight for what was right. There was no poverty or lack, no need, nothing incomplete. Within the Trinity, there exists all sovereignty, all peace, all joy, all love, perfect love. And God was and is and will always be love. And in love... God created us humans, both male and female, in his own image, the Bible teaches, to be like him and to be truly made in God's image. Humans had to be free. God created humans with the ability to choose, okay? Not some sort of robots, not some transactional, I'll do this so you do that, minion, but created with the ability to choose relationships, choose love, receive love, and to love God and each other as humans in return. The Bible says that daily God would come and spend time with the humans, walking with them in the cool of the day, and he showed them how to live in the best possible way, a life lived close to God and under his protection, a life that is full and complete. Simply put, God shared with humanity, that's you and I, what he enjoyed in the unity of the Trinity. God told these first humans to be fruitful and multiply. Go fill the earth with what God is like, with what I'm like, with his love, with his glory. But you know how this story of Adam and Eve and every human being ever since goes. Adam and Eve chose to believe a lie about God distrusted God and sought to create a self apart from him. A life that would end up being about their own glory, our own glory. A life that required them to earn a hard living, to prove themselves at every turn. It was a life that was filled with shame and blame. It was a life that killed them. And today, it's no different. When, when we choose self apart from God, we also choose death and separation. We choose a life where we no longer know and receive true love in the way God always intended for us. This is actually all part of the story of Christmas. Before the manger, before the wise men, before the virgin, after thousands of years of humanity rejecting God and his perfect love, striving to prove our value, our worth, hiding, blaming, wars, injustice, a baby arrives. And I want to ask you, what was it that motivated God to send his only son, Jesus, to this earth? What do you think? What was his ultimate motivation? It wasn't his power and greatness. It wasn't his joy, the joy that God experienced within himself in the Trinity that caused this. It wasn't peace that motivated him. It was his love. His pursuing love, embracing love, a perfect love that only the grace of God offers. Okay, so back to the 4G statement again. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves or earn love. Now, the guy I learned this from, Tim Chester, awesome author. Just check out any of his stuff. He says there are three ways we try and prove ourselves when we don't believe that God is gracious. First, we try to prove, I try to prove myself to myself. Yeah, when I mess up, I often hear things like in the back of my head, like you idiot, you stupid, or you suck, you're a failure. It's all running through my mind, right? As a husband, as a father, I've realized that my biggest fear is letting myself down. And I say husband and father, you could say pastor, as a coach, as a writer, as another. My biggest fear is letting myself down. My ego takes a really serious hit when I mess up, and I know it. And often, the biggest sense of letdown is having to face myself in the mirror. And that means that I'm really the most offended party when I mess up, when I sin. Do you hear how offensive that must be to God? I have a huge desire to prove myself to myself. I want to feel good about myself. I want my own approval. I want to love myself based on my performance, based on my accomplishments. So I feel a sense of peace and self-love only when I'm performing at an acceptable level according to my standards of perfection. Do you hear the do to be in that? There's, There's no loving ourselves in light of that. I'm just trying to prove myself. I'm trying to prove myself that I'm not just a bum. There's this old line in, in I think, maybe the first Rocky movie, so way back, right, where he's just, you know, he's just getting beat up, and his coach says, why are you doing this, Rock? And he's like, I'm just trying to prove to myself I'm not a bum, right? He was trying to prove to himself he had value, and he was willing to go through anything to prove that to himself. Now, the second thing, when we don't believe we have God's grace, we try to prove ourselves to others, to other people. I want other people to be impressed by me. We we might want to fit in or get other people's approval. I want to earn their love. And we certainly don't want other people finding out what we're like inside, right? Like the true me, what I was thinking, what I really want or desire or thought about you or that person or your performance. So we wear masks to hide our real selves from people. Wearing that mask though can be pretty heavy. It's a, like it gets it gets hard. It's like acting all the time. Like you have this role to play, but all the time. Because we dare not let other people see who we really are. And ultimately, this backfires. It doesn't work. Because deep down in, I think and believe that the thing about me that you really love or accept isn't really me. It's the mask I'm wearing. Yeah, it's this mask I've been showing you. Or the performance or job that I've been doing. That's what they love, not the real me. So I'm left feeling more of a fraud and more empty and unloved than ever. So what's that produce? I dance a little faster. I secure my mask a little tighter. I'm not able to experience true love when everything is based on masks and performance, is it? I can't have that type of relationship with others if I'm really just dancing, trying to sort of manipulate you into responding a certain way. And and all I'm showing you is a performance or a mask. It's it's deep. It's kind of sick, isn't it? Now, one of the problems with trying to prove yourself to other people and earn their love is that it means that they are kind of setting the standard. See, when I'm trying to prove myself to myself, then I'm setting that standard, right? Due to be, I got, oh, here, I'm happy if I'm hitting a certain bar. But when I'm trying to prove myself to others, now I come under the tyranny that they get to set the standard. And their standards may be ungodly, hmm, but uh, you, you adopt their behavior to fit in. You know, a little bit here, a little on the edges, even though you're a believer, you're a Christ follower. And on the other side, their standards might be godly, but you're living in obedience to other people rather than obedience to the Spirit, to God. And often what happens is that you settle for living like other people, which is always going to fall way short of living and loving like Jesus. Or, this is another thing that can happen, is you measure yourself against other people and you decide you're more righteous. Indeed, we often point the finger at other people's faults so we can feel better about ourselves. That's sort of the icky other side of that coin. Author Richard Lovelace, he says this, he claims, Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, they're subconsciously radically insecure persons. Wow, ouch. <laughs> and he goes on, he says, their security shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness, and, and really defensive criticism of others. Like this is this you know criticizing and I'm going to prove it right. That's why they're wrong and I'm right. They cling, he says, desperately to legal Pharisaical righteousness, but envy, jealousy, and other branches of the tree of sin grow out of their fundamental insecurity. See, so if we don't believe that God is gracious, that we have His unmerited favor and love, then all these things start to become true of us. Here are some indicators in life that that someone doesn't truly believe God is gracious. Um, and maybe you hear some of this in yourself. I don't know. Um, one is they take criticism and failure badly. See, if I'm working real hard and I feel like my performance and my mask is up to snuff and you should sort of salute that and dig it, and then, you know, you've got some feedback that I don't like, criticism, then I'm going to take it badly. Or if I fail or you point out I failed, mm-mm, uh, not having it. See, because you're poking my idol. You're poking my God. Me. Ouch. Um... People who don't believe that God's gracious often find it hard to relax because there's more to do to be in your eyes. Can't relax. Gotta always be keep busy. Gotta keep busy. Uh, here's another one. Um, they're proud or they envy the success of others. See, there's two sides of the same coin. I'm like, I'm really proud of my achievements or when I see someone else's, I'm like, hey, I envy that. Like, And I probably deserve that, not them. And often people who don't truly believe God is gracious and they already have his love. They make others feel guilty for not working or performing as hard as they are in whatever it is. Wow. Ah, oh, You can hear in this how apart from God's grace and love, we don't really experience love, do we? We're just on this treadmill trying to prove ourselves, trying to earn. Now, the third thing that happens when we don't believe we have God's grace is we try to prove ourselves to God, and earn his love. So just to review the first one, we try to prove ourselves to ourselves. If we don't believe God's gracious, we try to prove ourselves to others. And ultimately, when we don't believe we have God's grace, we try to prove ourselves to God, try to earn his love. We want to do something so God will be impressed with us, or so that God will bless us in some way, something we're praying for or wanting, or so that God will save us ultimately. And this instinct to sort of self-atone runs deep in our hearts. It just does. Like, that's our due-to-be distortion. It's the the sinful core of our heart. The grace of God is simple to understand, but it's hard to grasp. And it's not the complexity that makes it difficult. The problem is we're kind of hardwired to think we got to do something to make God look and act favor- favorably towards us, right? That There's that do-to-be thing again. It's because also deep down, I want to take the credit. See, if I do this, then God kind of owes me. That's what we kind of secretly think. And the problem is that much of the time, we really do believe we do deserve things. We believe we've earned those things. We have proven that. God, you're going to have to give me this blessing in my life. This raise, this house, the, my kids turn out a certain way. My marriage gets sorted out or you know, I have the love I've always desired or I want to be married. God, look at I've been going to church like crazy, setting up chairs forever. Shouldn't I get a spouse <laughs> or whatever, right? We believe we've earned things from God that God's somehow obligated to provide for us. We believe we're entitled to t- things, right? Like entitlement kind of creeps in. Check this out in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 and 18. says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so he confirms his covenant. What was the covenant? I will always be your God, and you'll always be my people. There's no due to being it. He confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, and it's the same today. See, God is saying, don't believe you've earned anything. Don't believe that you deserve it. It's all grace. It's all a gift from my hand. It's all because of my love for you. In all of the things that I provide for you, remember me. Remember, I'm gracious. It's unmerited. You didn't earn it. I gave it to you. (laughs) Before the foundations of the earth were laid, I knew you, and I knew I wanted to bless you and prosper you, ultimately in Christ. But see, we're prone to forget that, aren't we? We forget that everything we have is a gift from God. We forget that our standing before him, our righteousness, our desire for even good things that come from him, not from us. Our sinful nature wants to earn everything, though. I, I, can, I can tell you that's how it is for me. I want to earn everything I get because then I can take credit for it. That's just pride, right? And if I earn things from God, then I'm really in control. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Would you rather be uh, the one who is in debt in your life or the one who holds that debt? See, and we do that with God. We we maybe don't are not super aware of it, but it runs deep in our heart. But because God is gracious, He's already shown us unmerited favor and love. And then so because of that, not only do we not have to perform, the truth is we don't get to perform. He sees past all that. You can't earn something you already have, right? If we have unmerited favor, like to the point of the cross, to all things, authority and privilege now is ours in Christ, then we can't earn something that's ours. God's not impressed with the hard work and effort we put in trying to gain his approval. In fact, the only thing we earn from those efforts, the only thing we truly deserve, is separation from God, right? The Bible says that our own efforts to be right before God, our efforts to earn the favor of God, are like filthy, bloody rags. See, the truth is we actually do deserve something in our life from our sin and self-rule, and that's death, that's separation, Right? Romans 6.3, the wages of sin, unbelief, our death. And unless we, unless we understand what we ultimately deserve from God, then the gift of God's Son, Jesus, which we're celebrating this week and this season and at Christmas, it, it, unless we understand what we ultimately deserve, death, then the gift of Jesus is not that great to us. If we don't need someone to satisfy the righteous wrath of God on our behalf, if we can earn the favor of God, if we don't need a savior, a rescuer, then God giving us his son is just a nice thought. Hey, Merry Christmas. So we got to sit in the reality of our need before we can really understand the greatness of God's grace and his love. Do you remember the what we call the prodigal son story? You remember that? right? Uh, there's The is about the father. It says there was a father who had two sons, and the younger son, I'm not going to get deep into it because you've all heard it a lot of times, the younger son goes to his father and says, hey, I kind of want my inheritance now. Kind of like saying I wish you were dead. And the father gives him his inheritance, and he goes off to a faraway land, scripture says, and he squanders it all on unrighteous living, right? But... Eventually, he kind of hits rock bottom, and, and his mind and his heart turns back to his father. And he realizes, like, I don't, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be his son, but maybe at least he would show me enough grace to let me work for him so I don't just starve to death. And we see in that story the younger son comes back to the father. Before he could even say any of that, the father runs out, jumps off the porch, runs down the road, throws his arms around him in tears, Puts new clothes on him because he's filthy and ragged. Puts the ring, his family, you know, inheritance ring back on him. Like, hey, like, I know you squandered your other half here. Boom, here's more. And that younger son experiences true love, not based on his bad performance, but based on his father's grace and his father's love for his son. But there's two sons, right? The older brother, he ends up hearing, hey, father's throwing this big party. What's going on? What's, What's all the commotion? And the older brother comes in from the fields, and he starts mounting this big case for himself, trying to prove to his father that he's the better son, that he has earned his father's love and approval. And his father is like, but I've already given it to you. There's nothing to earn. It's all, everything I have is yours. And how does that story end? That older brother ends up outside the celebration outside of grace, outside of experiencing the amazing, unconditional, unmerited love of his father. You know, which of those two sons do you most relate to? The one who understands I can't earn anything and I don't deserve anything, and then the father just blows your mind again with his unmerited love and favor? Or or are you kind of into your religion and clinging to knowledge and the fact that, oh, I said this certain type of prayer many, many years ago. You owe me this now, right? Even though scripture doesn't teach that, right? Or my church attendance, or look how long I've been in ministry or pastoring, or look what I do for people, or how much I give, you know, in the offering or whatever. See, that we're not experiencing grace. We're thinking secretly we've earned and we deserve. We're that older brother, The author J.I. Packer, maybe you've heard of him, in his classic book and super-loved book called Knowing God, he says this, he goes, there's a tremendous relief in knowing that God's love to me is utterly realistic based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. (laughs) He's saying there's relief in that so that no discovery can disillusion him about me in the way I'm so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Kind of sums up everything we've said today. He goes on, he says, there is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow men do not see, and that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, He wants me as his friend, as his child. He desires me to be a friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. Wow, that's so well stated. Out of God's grace completely knowing us, out of his love knowing full well who we are, what we do and how far we fall short of his glory, we can know and experience his love and that's the only way we'll really truly know and and then give love. I love this verse John one sixteen. I was just reading it this morning and this is in the passion version. It's a it's a newer translation of scripture, but at times it it's really grabs my heart. It says, "And now out of his fullness we are fulfilled. And from him we receive grace heaped upon more grace." Yeah. God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves or earn anything because of his grace we can experience love in the deepest ways now oh that is such good news I hope that's good news to you and maybe much of this you know but it's just a reminder to our hearts all four of these weeks I hope you'll believe that God is gracious so you don't have to prove yourself or earn anything from him you have his love You have it. Wow. All right. I sure need to hear that. Okay. Like we do every week, I want to leave you with the big three takeaways from today's talk. And if nothing else, you don't want to miss these. And um, by the way, as always, you can get a printable PDF of this week's big three kind of written out for you as a free download by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three, B-I-G the number three. All right? So maybe if you're driving or you're at the gym or whatever, walk in or whatever. So here's the big three. First, when we don't believe that God's truly gracious, we try to prove ourselves to ourselves, and we really can't feel good about ourselves until we've put some distance between us and our last big sin. We try to prove ourselves to others, so we end up wearing masks to hide our real selves from people, and ultimately try to prove ourselves to God. We think we must do something to make God look and act favorably towards us because deep down inside, we want to take the credit. If I do this, then God owes me. Yeah, Don't miss those. Those are the three ways. Is the Spirit of God touching any part of your heart in any of those three? Maybe all three? (laughs) Second, unless we understand what we deserve to get from God, then the gift of God's Son, Jesus coming every Christmas, His life, death, and resurrection won't seem that great. Unless we deserve what we, you know, understand what we deserved, then the gift of God's Son won't seem that great. If we don't need someone to satisfy the righteous wrath of God on our behalf, if we can earn God's favor by what we do, if we don't need a Savior, well, then the gift of His Son is just a nice thought. We need to sit in the reality of our need before we can understand the greatness of his grace and fully experience the magnitude of his love for us. And third, um, just what I ended up with there, that picture of the prodigal son from Luke 15, it's such a beautiful picture of our heavenly father's love and grace towards us. And you know, that was a parable about a father. That's really the picture of God and his love for us. When you contemplate this parable, which of the two sons do you believe best sums up your relationship with God? And don't worry, if you're a sister, that's it all works the same way. See, he doesn't owe you a thing, but you know you can always return home to him in confidence, right? That's the younger son. Or are you more like the older brother who secretly, or not so secretly, believes that you're a pretty good person and you've earned your father's love? He owes me. I want you to contemplate that. I want you to pray through that and then really begin to grasp the reality that God is gracious. You don't have to prove or earn. You can really experience his love because you have it already, apart from any proving or earning. All right, wow, that's been heavy. I hope you've enjoyed this four-part series in Advent. I hope it's been good for you. That's about all the time we've got today. I've run a little bit late. I hope you'll join us again next week because we're going to keep diving into discipleship and mission and gospel fluency, and hopefully helping make this all a whole lot easier for you in your everyday life. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.